Welcome to another episode of VBC's Post 9-11 Veterans Storytelling Program. The mission of the Veterans Breakfast Club is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories, and we accomplish this through public storytelling programs where veterans of all eras can share their memories in their own words. Our program today was recorded live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Enjoy the program. All right. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, This is our second post-9-11 event. Really excited for this program, for everyone to be here. So we are recording these, uh, the entire thing, and it'll go on a podcast and it'll be released. Also, we're doing interviews, uh, our recorded interviews that we do uh, for the Post 9-11 guys. We're doing the next round is July 9th into Renham. Uh, we have a 10 o'clock and a 2 p.m. slot, so if anyone's interested in doing that, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, also, we have folks here from the Michigan Continues and Team Red, White, and Blue. Chris Sakula is going to talk to you guys a little bit about Michigan Continues. Uh, we believe in camaraderie and other veteran service organizations that we believe are doing good work. We like to partner with them in any way possible. So tonight we're with Mission Continues and Red, White, and Blue. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? As some of you know, uh, I actually applied for the fellowship program to be a fellow for the Mission Continues and got accepted, which is a dubious honor that I feel is uh, definitely appropriate to... Uh, help further my goals and further fellow man and everything. And uh, I actually just, I originally heard about the mission continues from, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Nathan from who leads the uh, first platoon. He was actually partnered there at the Wounded Warrior Project down at a veteran's place and uh, on uh, Washington Boulevard and said, yeah, you might want to check these guys out. So about two weeks probably go by and I finally just pick up the card and like, you know what, what can it hurt? And here I am. <laughs> and uh, I just uh, I looked online and like, oh, okay, sign up looks simple. Okay, great, sign it. I called up Matt. He picked up the phone immediately and like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I just saw your email. Welcome to the platoon. Fantastic. And then uh, started to volunteer. And uh, then I got into the uh, idea of the fellowship and I missed a cutoff for the previous uh, the previous class, but then I was able to hit this one, and now I'm doing that uh, arduous paperwork process, but uh, it's definitely all worth it, and uh, I recommend it to anybody else that feels like they have uh, six months to spare. I should be starting here on, uh, like, uh, the 26th of July, I believe, down at Habitat for Humanity. So it's uh, definitely a, a humbling thing. It, you know, you... You don't see the forest for the trees when you're doing it, but once you're all well done, it's uh, it's actually pretty good. And it leaves a nice, warm, and fuzzy feeling. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about like one of the service projects oh, you guys uh, do? Yeah, uh, actually helped uh, with the Stargale Field, uh, rebuilding that one in Homewood. Actually set up for the Chamber of Commerce's meeting on the actual improvement of Stargale Field. And uh, with my uh, upcoming work for... Habitat for Humanity is actually uh, rebuilding homes in East Liberty and Homewood areas and trying to do uh, trying to do five homes in six months. So we'll see how that works and see how well of a, how good of a leader I am and uh, expanding upon my project management skills I already and I carried over from the military and feel like uh, that's going to be a good a good uh, test case for everything. So and I'm, I definitely look forward to all the the other service projects that currently will be going on so and i uh, look forward to seeing many of you there all right all right thanks chris yep. 
So just to recap, if you guys are looking to swing a hammer on the weekends, talk to Chris or Steph or Josiah or any of the other MC people here tonight. Uh, next up, we got Jim Yager here representing Team Red, White, and Blue. We'll tell them a little bit about RWB, what you guys do. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Yager. I am uh, the chapter captain for our Team Red, White, and Blue chapter here in Pittsburgh. Um, a little bit about our organization. It's a national uh, veteran service organization. Um, we have about 105,000 members across the country. Um, we have chapters and or communities in about 190 cities across the country. Um, with those numbers are pretty staggering when you consider the age of the organization. Um, just like Mission Continues, it's a, a fairly young organization. The, or, the organization's only been around about five and a half years now. And so, um, it's, as you can imagine, it's been a very, very rapid growth process. But um, to get to what we do, um, our mission is to enrich the lives of veterans and connect them to their community through physical and social activities. So what that means at the chapter level, at the level uh, here in Pittsburgh, is we get together and do stuff like this. This would be considered a social activity for us. Getting together um, with veterans, non-veterans, just whoever, and recreating that sense of camaraderie that we so often miss when we leave the military. A lot of people mistake us for a running group. Um, yeah, we do run, and some of us run more than others. Um, but we also bike and yoga and rock climb and you know do rock marches and all kinds of other things like that by just being fit, anything that is allowing you to be physically active. But when we are physically active, it's more about just being active. It's about being with the people to your left and your right that are, be, you know, that are being active with you. Uh, so again, it comes back to connecting you to other people and we do that through being active or being social. You know, we, we have this theory within our organization when we talk about enriching a veteran's life, um, a lot of people will question, well, how do you do that? How do you, how, what does that mean to enrich somebody's life? So we, we have three things that we consider um, to enrich, three, th three things you need to enrich somebody's life. You need health. So we work on your health by getting you physically active, being socially active, and we feel that that leads to being more emotionally healthy as well by having a sense of community around you. People, as I just mentioned, that, that, that sense of community around you, surrounding you with yourself with good people. Uh, the last thing that comes with the, those two is purpose. So reestablishing that sense of purpose um, by you know, having a sense of purpose in your life. So when we're in the military, we know we have, we have to get up, we gotta be at PT at 6.30, you gotta be in formation at nine o'clock, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Everything is sort of lined up for you, but when we leave that community, that structure, we lose that sense of purpose oftentimes. And so what we're trying to do is reestablish that, um, and we believe with those three things that we can uh, enrich a veteran's life and a community member's life as well, because this uh, our organization is uh, all-inclusive. It's not just uh, restricted to veterans. So um, we welcome all, whether they served, it uh, doesn't matter what era, doesn't matter if it was combat service or not, we welcome all because we can't connect you to the community if we don't have community members within our ranks, within our organization. So um, that's sort of how the whole thing comes full circle. We meet up pretty regularly. We have some regularly scheduled uh, activities, mostly physical, some social, um, sometimes combined. For instance, on Wednesday, we have a uh, Wednesday night run group that goes every uh, Wednesday, six o'clock down at Point State Park. And about nine times out of 10, we stop and have a beer afterwards. Or you can get a water or an iced tea or coffee, but most of us have beer. 
Um, but anyway, it's just, uh, if you have questions about it, I have cards, I'll be here. Um, happy to talk to you and um, encourage you to sign up. Thanks. Jim, I have a question. Todd. Sorry, Nick. You're well, first. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm Todd, I'm the director of the Veterans Breakfast Club, and I promised to be quiet, and I kept my promise for five minutes. Um, <laughs> You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just think it's so interesting that you younger vets uh, did not, are not joining the VFWs, the American Legions, and as some of you know, I, I work with the older vets, and we have a, we have a couple older vets here, and, uh, <laughs> and I mean, when they came home from Vietnam, and, and uh, you know, in Korea in World War II, many of them joined the VFW chapter, or the American Legion Post, and do you have any sense of why you guys, your generation, aren't doing that in the, not nearly the numbers that uh, previous generations have? Do you have any sense of why that is? Uh, I think, I have a theory on it, um, you know, it seems that um, you know our generation that's that's really not attractive to us. Like we have sort of this continued, um, and it's not just a veteran. I think it's our generation. It's a generational thing that we have this sort of sense of the sense of service, and and that's where organizations like Team RWB and the Mission Continues come into play because we serve the, you know our country and the military, but even though we take the uniform off, we still have this sense of service within us and you know how do you satisfy that i don't want to keep doing push-ups and you know standing in formation anymore uh, how do you how do you satisfy that sense of purpose or i'm sorry sense of service in the civilian sector and i think that's where organizations like ours um kind of fill that void fill that gap in uh, in the civilian sector and you know we're able to reestablish that sense of purpose as i mentioned and continue to serve in some capacity, um, whether it's for our country, whether it's for our state, whether it's for the nonprofit sector, or if it's you know helping a community to reestablish itself, to rebuild itself, whether that be you know a community like Homewood or a, uh, a veterans community um, that you know we sort of stick together, close knit. So I, that's that's my best theory, but um, it's just that the, the, that model of sitting at a smoky bar and just it's not really there anymore I, I think that and this is my own personal opinion i'm sorry if i'm going on a rant but it's different because when we come home now our generation post 9 11 generations um specifically like we're welcomed home now and generations before us weren't always welcomed home and so you know why we come home and we're proud that we served in the military and we're proud of the service that we did um, gave to our country. I think in generations prior to ours, they weren't welcomed. We know that they weren't welcomed as, as much as we are. And they weren't celebrated like we are today. And I think, that has a, I think that has a huge impact on keeping that sense of service going forward. That's my thoughts. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, while we got you up here, Jim, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your service. So you're an Army guy, right? Yeah. How old were you? I Walk was, us through that, uh, the process you joining up. Uh, let me pull up a stool. <laughs> uh, you've got five minutes on that stool. All right. Um, so I joined, I joined the Army at um, the young age of 25. I was probably Jesus. one of the oldest guys. I know, right? Um, I was one of the oldest guys in my platoon at basic training. But, you know, I, I, life just wasn't giving me what I was hoping it to at that point. Ultimately, I wanted to go to school. 
and I didn't have a dime in my pocket to do that. So uh, I was like, yeah, this doesn't look like a bad, um, bad you know, option. Even after the fact that it was like almost exactly 12 months after 9-11. But I still enlisted and I uh, went to basic and 11 Charlie, it was an infantry mortar man. Any other mortar guys in here? Yeah? Okay, right on. So I uh, did that, went to uh, basic at Fort Benning, uh, then shipped to Fort Hood, Texas. How'd you like Benning? Benning sucks. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, it, what, what part of the year did you go to basic? Uh, September. September to December I spent at Benning. So it was quite warm. Sure. And then it was a little cold at the end, too. So I got a little taste of both worlds there. Then to Fort Hood for a year. Basically spent that year training up to go to Iraq. Um, deployed the following January um, of 2004 to Iraq for 14 months. I was stationed in uh, what's known as Abu Ghraib, so everybody's familiar with the prison, um, the infamous prison there. You were one of those guys? No, I wasn't one of those guys. Um, so the prison was actually like 30 miles outside of the town. It was almost in Fallujah. Um, but the city, the inner city of Abu Ghraib was what our AO was. So that's where we kind of ran around and patrolled and kept that place somewhat orderly. <laughs> that was our mission, at least. What did you do over there? Like, uh, I can't imagine you guys were hanging too many mortars. We, uh, we actually did not hang very many mortars at all. So um, our gun tracks, um, our mortar trucks tracks, um, they were, we were at a 120 um, millimeter mortar unit that was mechanized. Um, so our gun tubes were you know, about six inches uh, in diameter and they were mounted in the back of a 113, so a tracked vehicle. Um, so they actually got parked when we went to um, Iraq and um, they gave us Humvees then. So we basically became 11 Bravos and were just foot soldiers. Um, so we spent, we spent 14 months beating the street of Abu Ghraib, kicking down doors, cordon and searches in the middle of the night, you know, traffic control points, uh, different raids, got attached to special forces for a couple missions to help them out. Um, well, you name it, man, we did it. We, we did pretty much everything. Walking through farmlands and digging up <laughs> weapons caches and all kind of stupid stuff so yeah we, we basically had the whole full experience over there so you did 14 months came back 14 months came back and uh during those 14 months decided no i, I don't want to keep doing this <laughs> um one one tour here is enough for me so then i i exited and immediately enrolled in school going into the army i had a six-year plan to go in the army and then get my degree well it turned into an eight-year plan but you know, we were kind of stubborn and we sort of persist. Um, but yeah, turned into an eight-year plan. But I still um, accomplished the mission, got my degree, and moved out into uh, the big boy world. So um, for the last couple, six years, seven years or so, uh, I've worked a uh, number of different organizations serving the veteran community. Um, so working with veterans and helping them through uh, higher education um, and most recently in uh, employment initiatives. So doing some workforce development work, helping veterans like all of you um, get jobs with uh, our employers out in the Pittsburgh region. So I love what I do. I can't imagine at this point doing anything else. Um, I, the last couple months I've actually tried to envision doing something else and it just doesn't make sense. Like, like re-enlisting? No, 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 not that, not, not that extreme, but um, no, just like, I mean, I couldn't imagine like being an accountant or sure. being a machinist or 
something else. Like this is this is what I do, and this is what I think this is what I, my mission is intended to be. So that's what I'm gonna keep doing. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So next up, we got another Army guy, Mike Vanetta. So tell us, how did Mike Vanetta get from uh, running the streets to being in the Army? Yeah. So uh, I always kind of feel out of place at these, uh, especially these post 9-11, because I'm one of those Army veterans that has 23 years now. That, uh, but I've always been a bridesmaid, so I haven't actually deployed, uh, you know, in a combat situation. Uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I just just thought about that five minutes ago to try and figure out how to how to explain how does a guy in the army for 23 years but never actually deployed? I mean, in combat. I mean, I've deployed quite a bit. So my story is right out of uh, high school, unlike, uh, you know, you wait until 25, I was 17, had to get my parents' permission, uh, enlisted in the Army Reserves, uh, mainly to challenge myself and, you know, college money. Uh, once I got to college, of course, uh, then decided, uh, you know, if I'm going to be in the Army for the next eight years under contract, uh, let me stop uh, cleaning masks and weapons and whatever other details they want and decided to become a, you know, go through the uh, ROTC, you know, training corps. Uh, so got my commission, you know, early, got to skip the first two years, uh, got selected for active duty. Uh, so I still remember the day, you know, you go through the selection process, you know, they tell you what branch you're going to be. And uh, at the time wasn't, uh, you know, was I was a personnel service guy, so it wasn't real high speed, you know, low drag at the time. Uh, so I wanted, I was a finance major, so I wanted finance core. Instead, I got, you know, communication signal, which was one of my top three choices, which was good. Then, uh, I think he was an air defense captain told me, but you know, you've been detailed to the infantry for the first two years. And I was kind of like, what did you just say? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it'll be good for you, you know, to be infantry for the first two years. And, uh, it's probably the first time I was borderline, uh, maybe a little disrespectful i said you know you're an ada officer what do you know about combat arms uh which of course he didn't take too well but you know then uh you know did go to infantry i got to spend actually uh quite a bit of time at ed benning you know after uh, infantry officer basic course i uh, got to go to the the fun camp of uh you know the fun summer camp at ranger school afterwards i still remember that day whenever they asked uh, you know who was active duty and, uh, you know, I still didn't learn from basic training that you never raise your hand or volunteer for anything. <laughs> Raised my hand, you know, stupidly, and they said, great, you just volunteered to go to ranger school. Yeah. And they said, if, if you don't want to go to ranger school, you can go see the uh, commanding general and explain, you know, why you don't want to go. So, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage as an active duty infantry officer, you're going to ranger school. So what, what year was that? <laughs> yeah, you're going to date me now, huh? <laughs> that was uh, 1993. Okay, because I joined in like 04, man, so that's like the dark ages to me, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> you may as well have been yeah. in during Vietnam as far yeah, as exactly. I'm concerned. Exactly, so that's where I've been. Uh, you know, I always say I haven't had the typical career. Of course, whenever I say that, people say, you know, there isn't a typical career in the Army, but literally I haven't had the typical career. So I started off in the Army Reserves as a, uh, you know, as a private, you know, then went through ROTC training, I then went active duty as an infantry officer for the first two years. 
and then whenever I transitioned back to communications, you know, of course, being in infantry kind of, you know, changes your attitude. Uh, so I was no longer, uh, you know, that, call it that, uh, you know, low speed, you know, low drag, you know, soldier anymore, had been converted. Uh, so whenever they gave me my assignments as a, as a communications officer, you know, I could either go to a signal, you know, unit, you know, and do all that, you know, techie, you know, type stuff. Or they had this assignment on there that said Special Operations Command. And I was like, yeah, tell me about that. And uh, they said, well, you'll be a communications officer, you know, in a, uh, in a uh, Special Operations Battalion. I was like, yeah, that, that's what I think I want to do. You know, I, I didn't want to go be a uh, technical, you know, uh, computer guy, you know, straight out. I still wanted to have some, some fun coming from, from infantry. So I got to spend, you know, four years with uh, Fifth Group. Got out in uh, 99, uh, went to work, uh, went to the, into the civilian community. Uh, I think that lasted about six months. And then uh, I had been in the Pennsylvania National Guard, uh, reached out to some of the, the folks I knew before, and uh, went back into the, into the PA Guard. So, you know, had... Uh, I, you hear that, Jim? It happens. I had missed... Uh, well, actually, he'll, he'll probably fall over whenever here next, but... Uh, you know, so I went back in, was in, in the Guard from 2000 to 2005. You know, at that point, uh, and again, this is where, you know, probably why I've started hanging around some of these events is uh, in corporate America, I've, you know, had my position eliminated, you know, twice. Uh, so at that time, uh, you know, I left the Guard, moved to Arkansas, resigned my commission, you know, totally got out, decided, you know, I'm leaving it behind. Uh, so for about eight years, you know, I was totally out. Of course, guys that I was working with were still in the guard trying to talk me that, you know, come back in. And I was like, you know, I got five years to get a retirement. I, I just can't do five years. Uh, you know, just like you said, you know, and you guys know as veterans, he was pretty persistent. He actually called my old unit, got my uh, files and uh, he figured out, I guess they changed the rules. And I no longer had 15 years for retirement, but I had 18 and a half. So he's like, dude, you only need, you know, a year and a half. You know, you got you to gotta get your 20. Of course, at the time, then uh, I was switching jobs to move back here to Pittsburgh. And it's kind of another, uh, I guess, prod I got was from the Pennsylvania National Guard. They said they were in need of mid-grade officers to come back in. So I was, uh, after eight years, uh, say probably stupid enough, but actually, I guess, lucky enough, I went back in to get my, you know, other year and a half uh, which now I've surpassed, you know, the, the year and a half that I need. I think back in February, I got my 20 years, uh, you know, but stay in just because, again, I, you know, it's the guard. You do it one week in a month and, and two weeks, you know, and you still have that camaraderie that I think, you know, I've never had in corporate America. I've switched jobs. I think my wife says, you know, why, why are you never at a job more than, you know, well, I was at, in Arkansas for eight years, but, you know, why is it every, like, two, three, four years, you know, you're going somewhere else. And I was like, it, cause I'm always looking for that sense of purpose. So I think this last time I lost, lost my job, you know, I, I volunteer, I actually went to the veterans leadership program, which is another organization that helps with uh, workforce development. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't geared towards me, you know, it was more about, you know, helping write resumes and different things like that. But I saw an opportunity, you know, cause I was trained in, uh, you know, Six Sigma, which is big in the corporate world. 
for me to be able to give back to the, you know, the veterans. So I kind of saw it as, you know, all right, so maybe I've never actually deployed to combat, but I could help, you know, veterans that are transitioning to corporate America since I've been, you know, in corporate America since 2000. So I've been trying to find, you know, that, that sense of purpose. And, you know, since I'm at that 20 years, and of course they asked me to come back two years ago, and, you know, now I'm going before retention boards where they want to kick me out again. That's just the nature of the beast. I'm sure you guys all know that. So I figure my time with the Army is going to, you know, end soon. So I'm trying to find either the organization or position or where I have that purpose where I can stay. You know, and I think helping veterans uh, will, will do that. Now, I think I was telling a story over there that they wanted me to share. It's kind of the inner service thing, you know, between the Air Force and, and Army. Uh, so, of course, being in special operations, you know, we, you know, had a jump uh, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, the Air Force guys would always give you that briefing. Is anybody airborne out here? Yeah, so you know, the, the briefing they give you that, you know, that there's the air sickness bag, so if you get sick, make sure you take it with you. Yeah. You know, so I always made sure that, uh, not that I ever got sick, but, you know, I always made sure soldiers, I was like, look, you don't take it with you. You leave it on this aircraft. I was like, you don't listen to the Air Force guy and take it with you. I was like, so the big thing that we always used to do is, you know, as you're exiting the aircraft, yeah, you make sure you hand it to the Air Force guy as you, and then you jump. <laughs> so there's nothing they could do without it. <laughs> so, uh, now that they deliberately try to make you sick by flying. Uh, you know, of course, being in special operations, you know, it's training. So, yes, they would always do, uh, call it nap of the earth near as possible. And uh, the Air Force guys, yes, they would make sure that they turned up the heat. You know, they banked as much as they could to try and see. I mean, it'd be a competition to see how many people they could get sick, how many Army guys they could get sick, you know, before they exit the aircraft. So that's why we always made sure that if somebody did get sick, yeah, we, we handed it to them on the, on the way out. So uh, I, I do remember one time uh, a young soldier sitting next to me. And again, this is probably more SF, but... Uh, you know, we get going, and you know, while you're going, you don't have a, you have a lot of time before you actually exit the aircraft. Uh, so we take our helmets off, you know, and you know, again, it wasn't the conventional side where you gotta keep your camo on and everything like that. So I, I set my helmet next to me because we actually had some room, and the young kid next to me goes, "Sir, that's really not a good spot for that." He goes, "I get sick every time we jump." <laughs> So I promptly put my helmet back on. So uh, he, he didn't have something else to use for a uh, air sickness bag. Awesome, man. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, yeah. So where are Air Force guys at? Michaela, you want to step up? All right. It's shit talking time, so I hope you're prepared. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm in the Air National Guard. Boom. I see another Air Force person here. Uh, no, because okay. <laughs> no, I did admin work. So I joined, uh, like a lot of people, for uh, college benefits back when I was 17, super which, young. Which was when? <laughs> like <laughs> five years ago. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then... Um, <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been in, Michaela? <laughs> oh, no, I really... <laughs> I joined in 2001. Cool, that's a long time. In March 2001, when it was super peaceful, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to 
just joined, they got college paid for, and then September 11th happened, as we know, and, you know, went through college and uh, and enjoyed a lot of my time in the Air Force. Then I um, went to Kyrgyzstan, and that was our, our deployment at Manaus Air Force Base. So I'm actually at the 171st Air Refueling Wing. We refuel um, airplanes mid-air. Uh, that's what our operations do there. So um, when I was there, I was still, I do um, information management. So I was keeping like a lot of the records and stuff for the, for the pilots. And they had alert missions that would happen at any time to go like refuel the airplanes. A lot of them were like army jets. So it was really, you know, we worked a lot with the other branches too. And um, we try to keep records. I would keep records of like how much fuel we offloaded. It was really a long, we would have really long days because we, they would get their alert missions at like any time. So we would be, we were all kind of stuck in this room together when I was deployed for like, you know, 12 hours a day or so. So you really got to know people really well. And it was, it was a good experience. Lots and of then yes. you would go to the bar at night, Pete's place, right? Oh, well, Manas. Yeah. yeah. Has anybody been to Afghanistan in here? Just the three of us then. All right. You guys were in the army when you went. Were you allowed to go in Pete's place? At any point, either going or coming back? John, did, did I let you go in? 10th Mountain, we were not allowed to step foot in there. Uh, we didn't want to hurt any delicate Air Force people's feelings. It's, I don't know. I didn't get to go in either. I saw it from the outside. It's a bar that they have, I guess, for their leisure hours. Right, yeah. So you could get to... You could have two beers while two you beers. were there. That's two more than we had. Well, hey, that was an Air Force... <laughs> I know. It was like, we used to joke, like, our deployments were like everyone else's um, rest and relaxation. Yeah. yeah R&R. If that's true, because, like, the Marines and Army would come for their R&R when they were taking their breaks from Afghanistan. And we were like, oh, this is like our deployment, guys. But so it was like hard. Smart. Yeah, super yeah. hard. But, you know. <laughs> um, so lesson learned, we should have joined the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I don't think they take prior service, man. You've been corrupted too much by the Army. We do, yeah. And so... So you're still in, right? I am. Why? That's, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good one. Sure, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, now I'm just trying to get my retirement. And I do enjoy the um, camaraderie of military, and I enjoy going to events like this. I also work with veterans now. I work at PA Serves. And yeah, let's plug PA Serves. For real. No. Okay. Yeah. So PA Serves, um, I work in uh, social work. So uh, it's through Mercy Behavioral Health, and we work with veterans and with everything, like employment, social events. We actually, Mission Continues and Team Red, White, and Blue are um, partnered with PA Serves too. So we send... You know, if there's someone looking for social events, we'll... Excuse me, so are we now. And yes. Thank and you. I'm sorry. Jesus. <laughs> Veterans Breakfast Club. <sighs> Next time I'm calling our Ken to talk about the Air Force. <laughs> yes. And so, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to tell you about PSRs too. Um, if you need anything, they, we kind of just run the gamut of services for veterans and their families. So you've been in 15 years. In the reserves, right? So you say you're holding out for retirement. How long, how long do you have to do in the, the guard to retire? Uh, 20 years. So just 20? Mm-hmm. Like, in the, what is your retirement like? What percentage of retirement do you get after 20? Um, 
But you can do like 40, right? Because like we've all seen reservists that look like they're like 90 years old. <laughs> That's true. I know. They never, they stay. Like Marshall's still in the reserves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's an E4. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it depends on like how, if you've like deployed and how much active duty time you get, what your percentage is. Mm-hmm. 60? Mm. Oh, oh. Right. Cause it, oh, it's terrible deal. Right. Yeah. I you're, thought, you're just going to do 20 in it or you're going to stay till you're 80 I'll years old? I'll probably just do 20 and be done. But I thought at first that like you started collecting right away like active duty. So it took me a while to actually learn that I wouldn't collect it till 60. But that's okay. I'll yeah, that does suck. It. Might as well just stay in, right? Till, for that Might month. as well just stay into your 60, yeah. We'll see. If I can stay in shape, maybe I can join the team RW. Be and stay in shape, yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Michaela. All right, we are running out of time. we got time for one more. Uh, well, in the Air Force, that sucked. So we're going to go back to the Army for a bit. Have John Hawes come up for a minute. Uh, John, so me and John were in Afghanistan, the same brigade at the same time. We didn't know each other. We were in different battalions. But we were, shit, what, 50 miles away at the most? So tell us, how did, uh, how did it go from running the streets to being in the Army? Well, I'd always wanted to join the military. I, I grew up reading Vietnam books. And I wanted to grow up and be like those guys and serve my country. And signed up before 9-11. It was 2001 in the delayed entry program. Shipped off after I graduated, 2002. Joined active duty infantry. Got assigned to 10th Mountain. I wanted to, I actually chose them. I wanted to specialize in like cold weather warfare, like shoot off of skis and do all this high speed stuff. Well, I was there three months and they sent me to Iraq. So <laughs> I was a little disappointed. But... uh no, deployed to Iraq uh, for, I missed like the first four weeks of the invasion in 2003. It kicked off like March 23rd. I think my unit actually deployed like April 11th. Yeah, we staged in Kuwait for a couple weeks. But uh, for Iraq, we deployed as just a company in support of 5th Group, 5th uh, Special Forces. So my whole tour in Iraq was living the SF life without being SF, doing safe house missions, you know, riding around in Humvees with my blue jeans and New Balance sneakers. And playing the game, but, you know, not, not the real thing. But uh, came home from that, re-enlisted to go to a new unit that was standing up, a new brigade. And they were going to Afghanistan. And I was like, ah, been to Iraq, you know, let's go get some new experience. And deployed to Afghanistan with 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain. I was in charge of a, uh, a reconnaissance team, uh, part of the sniper section. Did that for 16 months. Nick knows we were there two weeks from coming home and we got hit with a four-month extension. So that really sucked. Like families that already like moved back, quit jobs, you know, signed new leases. And awesome, four months later, you know, we're not just not coming home. Yeah. And like, so did you guys have any Advon? Our Advon was in Kuwait. Oh, we had guys in the air to drum and they got told that the plane was turning around. Yeah. We had, uh, we had equipment packed up in Connexes that had already shipped. So for the first two months of our four-month extension, we didn't have, like, I'd say 40% of our equipment because it had already been shipped off. So Yeah, Customs sealed our container the morning we got notified. Like, we got notified, <laughs> like, 2 a.m. the morning before Customs sealed our shit and taking it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sucked. Thanks, 82nd. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But uh, came home from that, got sent from Fort Drum down to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I spent 
one year working uh, outside of my career field, working for the AG Battalion, helping in-process new recruits. I was actually in charge of the holdover, so I had to fix everybody's issues that came to basic training. Uh, anybody who had some sort of medical issue, finance issue, family issue, behavioral issue, uh, they came to my platoon, and it was my job to either fix it and send them off to basic or send them home. So how did you fix those behavioral issues? <laughs> Lots of paperwork. That's all I could do then. Yeah. <laughs> it's, your hands are pretty much tied. But uh, for every, it was exactly like a three-to-one ratio. For every one that I sent to basic training, three went home. It was ridiculous, almost exactly three to one. Good Lord. But uh, after that, I got to actually spend my last year down there as an instructor for the Asymmetric Warfare Group. I taught an advanced rifle marksmanship course there. Did that, got out of active duty in 2009, and joined the reserves. And I originally joined an instructor unit in uh, Horseheads, New York, up by the Finger Lakes. Did that for a couple of years, moved to Pittsburgh. And at the time I'd signed up for school, I got accepted to a trade school here in Pittsburgh. And it was a two-month waiting list until school started. So I was like, well, one, I need something productive to do until school starts. And two, I've been out of, I haven't deployed in a while. I like to do a deployment. I didn't feel like I was pulling my weight anymore. We just bought a house. Yeah, we just bought a house. So I was looking for deployment. My unit's like, hey, uh, my unit helped out running war exercises for garden reserve units that were rotating through Fort Dix. New Jersey and Fort McCoy, Wisconsin. So they're like, hey, there's an MP unit that came through and they were looking for people to go to Afghanistan. And I was like, all right, I, I can do that. Never had any desire to be an MP in my life, but I was like, I'll go back to Afghanistan if that's what it's going to take. Contact me like, oh no, we've already been off-ramped, but we got a sister unit going to Cuba. And I was like, I've never even contemplated that. And I was like, well, I don't got that t-shirt yet. Might as well go, go to Cuba. So reclassed to MP and went to Cuba um, with the 307th, well, I deployed with 361st out of Ashley. I'm currently in the 307th in New Kensington. Yeah, I deployed with 361st uh, MP unit out of Ashley, went to Cuba, and it was nothing like I expected. I was like, ah, oh, Cuba, I'm going to, you know, the Caribbean. I think this will be nice. Well, no, I don't know if anybody been to Guantanamo Bay before. No, it's a tropical desert island. It looks like New Mexico. It's sand, rock, and that's it. There, you know, there's cactus everywhere. You know, it was, I was like, oh, it's 200 miles from Florida. It's going to look like Florida. I've been to Florida. Florida's nice. No, it was nothing like that at all. I absolutely hated my time in Cuba. I'm sure Michaela's wondering how many drink tickets per night did you guys get in Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> well, Guantanamo was actually an active duty Navy base. And so you can drink there and they actually sell alcohol. I personally didn't have a single one while I was there. I uh, tried to take the high road. I was Too professional for that, hmm? <laughs> I was in charge of 50-something soldiers, and there was all sorts of alcohol-related incidents Like before we got there. So they're like, hey, if you're an NCO, you should really not do this. So I, I went there, took the high road, didn't drink, but trust me, I made up for it when I got home. I, I was craving some things. But uh, I got promoted while I was down there, and upon coming home, I actually had to transfer into the 307th you know, out in New Kensington, just the east side of Pittsburgh here. I'm currently still there, but I actually just put in my transfer paperwork yesterday to go back to my old instructor unit in New York. So, yeah, I've been in 14 years now, hold three MOSs. Now, one of them I've never worked in my life. I went to ammunition specialist school as well. Um, Guard, reserve, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Cuba. And it's been a pretty, you know, varied career so far. How much longer are you going to do? I'm going to hit 20, 20 years to the day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, when you see me, when after... So I got six more years to go. If you see me in seven years, I'm hoping to look like somebody from Duck Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the goal. 
you know, long hair, beard, maybe the belly if the wife will let me. That, that's the goal. Nice. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks, brother. All right, we are about out of time, so that's it for tonight. Uh, join us again. The next one's going to be July 27th at Spoonwood Brewery in Baldwin. I'd prefer you not, <laughs> if you must. I just want to, first of all, thank everybody for coming. Uh, as Nick explained, uh, we've been doing these kind of storytelling events for older vets uh, for eight years, and this is just our second one in the evening for younger vets so, you know, we really appreciate you guys being the pioneers for this kind of new track of programming. And I also want to say that John Hawes is, much, is very modest, and I very much hesitate even bringing this up, but he's very highly decorated. He received a silver star, and his story in Afghanistan is captured in a wonderful book that also captures the very sad story of your good friend and, and squad leader, Jared Monty, who posthumously uh, received a Medal of Honor. You are a... a big part of that operation. And John might be the best marksman in the U.S. Army. I mean, up there, top echelon. Even better than Marshall? <laughs> Marshall in his day could kick your ass, John. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> so thank you all for coming. And yeah, our next event is going to be a month from now at Spoonwood Brewing Company in Baldwin. And on July 27th, I hope you can make it. And also, if you have any suggestions for other venues uh, that we should do this at around town, maybe a little more convenient. Uh, yes, we have a newsletter up here that's got uh, all of our events listed on them. If you, it's, I know it's tough to make it out to the breakfast in the morning, uh, but if you can, they're so good. It's amazing in Pittsburgh how many folks we have at these different breakfasts that were like part of like amazing times in history. Uh, we've had... Pearl Harbor survivors, we've had people of liberated concentration camps, really amazing stories come out of these breakfasts. So if you can join us for one of those, it'd be great. And the older vets love to see the younger vets there, uh, share our stories, be supportive of them. So it'd be nice. I know it's tough to make it. The least you could do is show up to these. So we appreciate that. Uh, but that's it. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to another live storytelling event by the Veterans Breakfast Club. For more information about the Veterans Breakfast Club and our post-9-11 Veterans Storytelling Project, including a schedule of our events throughout Western Pennsylvania, visit us online at veteransbreakfastclub.com. 